again, good morning, happy new year to everyone, or almost new year, happy new year's eve. So this morning, instead of jumping back into our study, we're going to wait, getting away from the Christmas sermons, and before we get into John, I thought we would do something a little different and have a time of communion, a time to re- uh, which really kind of coincides with the end of the year and going into the new year. You know, communion is a time of, of reflecting on on the work of our Lord and Savior. So remembering it and then looking forward as well to what's in store for us as believers. So this morning, open up to the, uh, not the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, title of this morning's message is Committing Ourselves to Christ. And again, sticking with the theme of the new year, if you think about New Year's, it's a time where many people, I try not to do it because I don't keep them, make resolutions. And I was looking up on the internet this morning, the top resolutions uh, that are broken. They're probably the top ones everyone tries to keep, and you could probably guess them. One of them, I'll go through a list of ten, is to lose weight or get fit. That is one of the top resolutions that's broken, usually by the end of the week, right? Another one is to stop smoking. That's one of them. This one was interesting to me, learning a new skill. I've never resolved to do that. Maybe I should. That was one. This one, stop spending money and save. Has anybody ever committed? You don't have to raise your hand, but commit to that if you don't want to. Another one was spend more time with family. Maybe that was like, hey, I'm going to stop working so much or doing activities so much, but spend more time with my family. I like this one, travel more. Has anybody ever resolved to travel more? All right, guy. More, guy? Just kidding. You could throw two together, travel more, and spend more time with family, right? That's like killing two birds with one stone. This one, eat healthier. That one's another one that's often broken. This one, I don't know how they do it. Be less stressed. I'm going to resolve to be less stressed this year. That's kind of stressful in itself, even trying to think about it. This one I liked. I've, I've never done this either. Volunteer. Volunteer. Like this year, I'm going to resolve to volunteer. That's one that's all, it's broken most often. I think that's a good one for our church. I'm going to volunteer more at the church. John kind of mentioned that. That's a good one. And then this one, this one, the last one is to drink less. And I'm assuming it's, it's alcohol. Someone's saying I'm going to drink less. And again, they could kill ter- two birds with, more stone, with one stone. If you drink less, you'll save money. Think of that. Especially if you go to like a baseball game where alcohol is really expensive. I'm glad I don't drink. That's a, I save a lot of money from not doing that. So those are the top ten resolutions that are broken. So if you planned on doing one of those, just don't even do it. You're going to break it. <laughs> Instead, I have some better commitments, more spiritually grounded commitments. And they're going to be these as we look at the communion this morning. This year, I would encourage you and myself because we could all do this commit to the following number one growing in your obedience to christ again just so you know it's not talking about i'm going to get saved which is number one but this one is just growing in my obedience to christ the process of sanctification and we'll talk about that in a few moments the second one is being ever aware of christ's sacrifice for us or for yourself You know, we sing about it in our worship songs. We sing about what Christ has done for us. 
But how often do you, including myself, do we, are, are we conscious of that throughout the week in our daily life as things go on? Unfortunately, sometimes it's not until tragedy strikes that we're reminded of who Christ is and what He's done for us and what we have in store for ourselves. You know, John had mentioned the congregation about being sick. But even more so, he don't mention about his father's death. And death is really that one that really kind of brings into focus what's important in life. Unfortunately, over the past few weeks, I've had to visit, well, I haven't had to, but I've visited families in the hospital for the past two weeks. I did a funeral as well for a friend. And again, those things kind of bring into focus what's important in life. And cause us to be ever aware of Christ's sacrifice for us. But I would say it's a good thing that we commit to doing that this year. And thirdly and lastly, I would say let's commit this year to living evangelistically. Living evangelistically. Again, just glorifying God with our lives so that people would see us and desire to follow Christ. So this morning, we're going to have communion. And in the explanation of communion... I believe that we will find a foundation for these three things that I've just talked about that we should resolve as believers to commit to do. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 23 through 30, 34. Thank you. My mom's helping me still. Even at the the old age of 46, I'm still being helped by mom. Thank you, mom. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for this morning. Again, may we be ever aware of the precious gift of life that we have. Every moment that we are awake and breathe is a blessing from you. May we be ever aware of your great sacrifice for us. And may we live in such a way that honors you. I pray this morning that you would speak to us through our time of communion and show us the importance of these three things in our lives. And we pray this and ask for your help. In Christ's name, amen. Well, again, 1 Corinthians 11, let's read verses 23 through 34. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth and explaining to them about communion, the Lord's Supper. And he says this, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in do so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. 
So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So here's the Apostle Paul's commandment or just kind of laying out the process of communion for the church. So let's let's go back now and look at that. And again, you'll see why I came up with these three commitments. And again, I, I believe they're all based in communion. So what is the meaning of communion? Well, the meaning of communion is the remembering in a, in a way we're remembering the loving sacrifice of Christ, of what he had done. God is demonstrating his love for disobedient people. This is the character of God, right? He's always displaying his love towards us. And he even does it as we take communion. And I'll show you in a few moments how he does that. But go back to the text now and look at verse 23 for a second. Because I want to point out something that I've never really pointed out before in, in communion. In verse 23, before the Apostle Paul explains what communion is or how to take communion, he says this. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And this is the interesting part. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. So it was a betrayal. Even in the midst of being betrayed, Jesus showed his disciples salvation. Even after being betrayed. How many of us, after being betrayed, want to do something nice for somebody? Not very often, is it? But again, that's the character of God. Even when he's being betrayed, kissed on the cheek and betrayed, stabbed in the back, in a sense, and being betrayed, he offers his love. So the Apostle Paul starts that way. In the night he was betrayed, then he's going to explain salvation. And as I was thinking of that, again, that's the process of God. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God was betrayed by Adam and Eve. And what did he do right after they were betrayed? He promised them the coming Messiah and salvation and temporarily clothed their nakedness. He covered them. And promise them salvation to come. And I think also with us, every time we've betrayed, before we were offered salvation, what did we do? We betrayed our Lord. How many times when we betray our Lord in our disobedience, is he so ready to forgive us? So again, that is the character of God. We betray God as a disobedient people, yet he shares his love with us despite the betrayal. Shows us how loving God is. So again, the Apostle Paul starts by saying, in the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And what did he do? Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the meaning of communion, again, after his betrayal, is that Christ gave his body. Christ gave his body. In the Gospels, as he's, doing the last supper with his disciples, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. That's how he gave his body for his children. And I think in Isaiah, and you can turn there with me, chapter 53, verses 3 through 5, gives us one of the best descriptions of how Christ's body was given for us. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. This is a sermon in itself. We're just going to point out, and I'm not going to expand on it. 
just point out how Christ gave his body for his people. Look at what it says in verse 3. And in verses 3 through 4, it's, a, it's more of an emotional suffering, an emotional giving of his body. And then in verse 5, it's the physical giving. So imagine this is what it says about him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So Jesus was despised and forsaken, and he was sorrowful and he was acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. So you see his body taking upon the griefs of men. And our sorrows he carried. So all of our sorrows, all of of our grief was heaped upon the body of Jesus Christ. And yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So again, the emotional side, he was despised, forsaken. He was sorrowful. He was acquainted with grief. He bore our, our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God and he was afflicted by God. This is, was Jesus emotionally giving his body for us. And then the physical suffering, look at verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. So Jesus was pierced through physically. He was crushed for our iniquities. Imagine the nails going through the hands and, and maybe crushing bones and, and flesh and veins. Jesus' body was crushed. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. We don't need to go through the detail of the suffering of Jesus Christ being beaten by soldiers and whipped. So that's the physical suffering. So when Jesus says, I gave my body for you, that's what we need to think of, because that's what happened. Emotionally and physically, Jesus gave his body for men. And so when we take of communion, we need to think of that. When you hold that cracker, this is symbolically representing the broken body of Jesus Christ. And why would he do that? Why would he give his body for his people? Well, he did this because he loved us. He did this because he took our punishment. Galatians 3.13, I want to read that for you, talks about this. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So his body became cursed for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. What we deserve, he took upon himself. And Christ saved us from the penalty of our sins, which was the wrath of God for all eternity. Jesus suffered that for those of us who accept him. You see, we betrayed a holy and eternal God. Thus, we deserve eternal punishment. And that's what awaits all those who deny Jesus Christ. Again, we've sinned against a holy, eternal God. Therefore, we deserve eternal punishment. But Galatians 3.13 tells us, no, he took that for us. So again, as we are holding the bread, that too is embodied in that. This is Jesus' body, symbolically, that took that curse for us that we rightly deserve. In 1 Peter 3.13, 
Peter describes the purpose of this salvation or this suffering. I want to read that to you as well. Again, just to give us a deeper understanding of what Jesus did. First, Peter 318. Says this. For Christ also died for the sins for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Here, Jesus died for our sins. And he died because why? Because we betrayed God. If we had not betrayed God, then Christ would not have needed to die. But all men have betrayed God. And again, if you look at that verse in verse 18, Christ, the just, died for us, the unjust. We each and every one of us is unjust. And Christ, the just, died for us. And he died for what purpose? To reconcile us to God, it says, to bring us to God. That was the only way that we can get to God. Izzy quoted from Isaiah earlier that our righteousness is but filthy rags in regards to salvation. We can do nothing good enough to earn salvation. They're but filthy rags in God's eyes. It is Jesus Christ, the just, who suffered for us. And I just want to make this note. There's nowhere in Scripture that says Jesus Christ died for us to be healthy and wealthy and to have a great time. Those may be byproducts of salvation, but the main reason for salvation is to reconcile us from God because we've been separated for all eternity from God and are and are doomed for eternal separation unless there was a reconciliation by Jesus Christ. That's why he saved us, to reconcile us to God. So many times, and even in the process of suffering, we think, what did I do wrong? That I'm not following God correctly, did I, and I sinned against him, so he's punishing me? You know, that's not, that's not it at all. God didn't save us so that we'd be healthy and wealthy in this world. He saved us to reconcile us unto himself. So again, Christ gave his body for us. The, un, the just for the unjust. Let's go back to our text now. And the second uh, part of the meaning of communion, because we betrayed Christ, he gave his body for us and he gave his blood for us. Look at verse 25 back in our text. In the same way, he took the cup and also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. So the communion process is we're remembering what Jesus did for us, giving us his body and giving us his blood. Well, what does that mean that he gave us his blood? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. And I think Hebrews does a great job of describing this. And we're going to look at 15. We'll read for a little while. A few verses. Maybe through 22. I'm not sure. This is describing that new covenant. So Jesus says, I gave you my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. It's a new covenant. So he's inaugurated this new covenant at his death. And says this, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. What is it? So that since death has taken place for the redemption of transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must 
be of necessity, there must be death of the one who made it. So Christ in his death and the spilling of his blood inaugurated this new covenant between man and God. Look at verse 17. For a covenant is valid only when a man is dead. So Christ died. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant, which was inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. So even in the old covenant, there was a spilling of blood. And so in this new covenant, there needed to be spilling of blood, and it was done by Jesus Christ. So this new covenant, let's leave Hebrews now. This new covenant that it was inaugurated by Christ, what does it do? Well, in 1 John 1.17, it says that his blood cleanses us from our sins. That's what his blood has done for us. In Romans 5.9, it says his blood justifies us. And in Ephesians 2.13, it says his blood has brought us near to God or reconciled us to God. That was the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses us from sin. It justifies us and it reconciles us unto God. So when we take communion, we need to be thinking of that. This cup of juice represents the blood of Christ that inaugurated this new covenant for you and me. And it cleanses me from my sins. It's justified us, and it has brought us near or reconciled us to God. That's the meaning of the cup of blood. Going back to our text now, let's look at one more thing here about communion. In verse 26, there's something, another element of communion. So not only do we look back at what Jesus had done for us, but we proclaim what he has done. This is that evangelistic part. This is why I said at the beginning, let us commit to living evangelistically because even in communion, according to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, we are proclaiming the death of Christ. Look at verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are retelling the story of salvation when we partake of communion to ourselves and to all those around us. What are we saying? What is that message? It's this, that I'm a sinner who has betrayed Christ and I am in need of a Savior. It's saying, we're saying that Christ gave his body for me as we partake of the bread or cracker, that Christ gave his blood for me when we drink the juice. And so we're telling that story. I'm a sinner who's betrayed Christ, who's betrayed God, and I need a Savior. And this Savior has come to me and broke, has his body broken, has his blood spilt. And then when I partake of it, you're saying that you believe this, and I am trusting in his work. So that's why communion is only for those who truly believe. And by, t- by partaking, you're saying, you know what? I'm part of this new covenant. I believe in it. I trust in Christ. That's why Paul in verses 27 through 34 that we read, and I won't go into detail about this, but he's saying to those who are going to partake of communion to examine themselves because of what it means. Because if you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you don't believe what he did on the cross, 
then don't partake of communion. You're making a mockery of it. Of it. You're eating it in an unworthy manner, and you're eating it in hypocrisy. That's why in verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, meaning you're unworthy because you haven't believed on Jesus Christ, not because, oh, I just sinned a few minutes ago. I, I can't take communion. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about believing and trusting in God for your salvation. You will be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say, but a man must examine himself. And that's what each and every one of us need to do before we partake of communion. Examine yourself. Have you believed on Jesus Christ and trusted in his work? Then you are worthy to partake of communion. But if you haven't, then you are not worthy. And I ask you and beg you to refrain from doing that. But better yet, I would ask you to believe on Jesus Christ and what his work so that you can partake with the rest of the church. And so I have these two questions for us this morning. Number one, have you committed yourself to Christ? Are you a believer? Do you believe what he's done? Do you belong to him? If so, then when we partake of communion in a few moments, I ask that you partake and you remember all these things. You commit yourself to Christ and proclaim his death. And again, if you haven't committed yourself to Christ, I pray that you would this morning, that you would believe on Jesus Christ and believe in the work that he has done for you. I didn't know if I was going to read this, but I think it, it's appropriate I like because I like it. This book right here, I've mentioned it before, is the Archbishop of England from the 1500s. He wrote this whole book describing communion and combating the Catholic Church's view of communion. And the end of his book is this, and it's, it, it goes with taking it in an unworthy manner. It kind of sums up his whole book. So he says this. He says, now resteth nothing, you know, you got that Elizabethan language there, but that all faithful subjects, meaning the church, will gladly receive and embrace the same, and he's going to say how. So you're going to take communion how? Being sorry for their former ignorance and every man repenting himself of his offenses. God, excuse me, uh, repenting himself of his offenses against God. So that's what we do. We repented for our sins against God. And he says, amending the same may yield himself wholly to God. There's that commitment to God to serve and obey him all the days of his life and to often come to the holy supper, which our Lord and Savior Christ hath prepared. As he there corporally eateth the very bread and drinketh the very wine, so spiritually he may feed on the very flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, his Savior and Redeemer. And I like this part because this is what I've been talking about. Remembering his death, thanking him for his benefits, those benefits of justification, forgiveness of sins, looking for none other sacrifice at no priest's hands for remissions of sins, but only trusting in his sacrifice. And that's what I said. We only trust in what Christ has done. But only trusting his sacrifice, sacrifice, which being both the high priest and also the Lamb of God, prepared from the beginning to take away the sins of the world, offered up himself once forever, forever in a sacrifice of sweet smell unto his Father, 
and by the same paid the ransom for the sins of the whole world, who is before us, entered into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of his father as a patron mediator and intercessor for us, and there hath prepared places for all of them that be lively members of his body to reign over him forever in the glory of his father, to whom with him and the Holy Ghost be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen. That's what Thomas Cranmer wrote about communion. And again, it, hopefully you were able to follow along. It sums up what I've been saying. Those who trust in Christ and Christ alone are those who can partake of communion. And so now we're going to go into a time of communion. And during this worship song, I would ask again that you would examine yourself before you go back and grab the, the uh, cracker and the juice. And then bring it back to your seat. And Pastor John and I will come up and pray and we'll partake together. And as you do that, remember again, we have betrayed Christ and he's offering us salvation. And it's represented symbolically in the bread, representing that he gave his body for us and in the juice that Christ gave his blood for us. And again, we are proclaiming this to each other and to ourselves. So let's do that now. Lord God, we thank you so much for, again, just for another day to live and to breathe. And even more importantly, to have a relationship with you. And at this moment, Lord God, we want to remember your great sacrifice of love towards us. A people who have betrayed you. We thank you for your great sacrifice. And Lord God, as we partake of communion together in a few moments, may we be ever mindful of that great sacrifice of giving your son to us and him giving his body and his blood for us. And we get to reap the benefits of that being reconciled to you, being justified, being forgiven. We thank you for that, Lord God. And we ask that you would bless our time of communion. And may now we examine our hearts and see whether or not we have committed our lives to you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.